0: I was not uh, popular, and I was not a tough guy, right? And I know it's shocking, and, and I used to get picked on and bullied and beat up a lot, uh, also shocking. Um, and, and one of the things I, I said when I, when I had a son was, I'm, I'm going to teach my son how to, how to fight, right? Like, my son is not going to get picked on, you know? And if he does, I want him to be able to show well for himself. I thought that was a, a good goal as a father. And so about a year ago, I, I started teaching my son how to throw a punch, which has been a lot of fun. Um, and and actually it's funny cuz he'll he'll get frustrated with me and he'll punch me and I'll like all right that wasn't right let's try it again. <laughs> and and sometimes it actually calms him down to to stop and think about how to how to turn his shoulder and how to you know um, of course I it's it may not be a great idea. It's a little like having a homeless guy teach you about economics. It's it's <laughs> But but I've been working with him on this, and, and so every time we you know we'll we'll stop and we'll you know all right get your fists up and you know he'll we, we do it to play and everything else because I kind of think it's it's part of uh, it's part of a dad's job to teach their son how to do these things right like they they learn by watching you and they learn by doing stuff with you and he's not likely to watch me get into a lot of fist fights um, we're not going to let him go to congregation meetings until much later uh, <laughs> uh, so. <laughs> Um, I hope that didn't get me in trouble. Uh, so so I, I, I've been teaching him, and I, I, we were in um, Helena a little while ago uh, for a dentist thing, and, and we're playing in the pool, he and I, at the hotel, and, and we're splashing around, and he's got his water wings on and everything, and, and I, I wanted to make him go in the deep end with me. So I got a hold of him, and, and I started dragging him to the deep end, and he's like, Dad, I don't want to go in the deep end. I was like, no, Titus, come on, it'll be fun. You, you, be in the deep water. It'll be great. No, Dad, I don't want to do it. He starts hollering and everything else. And then he hauls off and he punches me in the eye. And it was, it was the moment when he threw like the most perfect punch he's ever thrown. It was, it was spectacular. And it hurt. Like, (laughs) and it caught me up guard. And for a half a second, I was annoyed. And then I was like, oh, good job, son. Like, I mean, because he's right there, right? And so he, you know, face to face, he just, bam, you know. And <laughs> um, The reason I share that, like, as we dive into our stories, there's one of these weird truths about people. We learn to be who we are, like, by watching our parents, right? Um, and, and we're in the book of Judges. We're kind of jumping back to a series we left off on last summer. Because um, um, during the summer, I do Old Testament. And during the, the year, I do New Testament. Um, so So... Um, this principle, and we're going to work on it a little bit today, is that um, we learn to be who we are by watching our parents, right? And I've said this to some people who cringed and freaked out a little bit. they <laughs> like, no, no, I don't want to be my dad. Um, but, but we do. Like if you watch how your parents argue, like, like a lot of folks learn to argue by watching their parents or they learn to argue by reacting to their parents or they learn how to be in relationship, or they learn how to treat, a, treat their wife, or they learn how to – in fact, actually, Daniel Wee, one of the things he said in premarital counseling that I was impressed by was that he looked forward to washing dishes. Um, and I assume he's been doing that. Yeah, because he watched every, every meal his dad would wash dishes. And it, it, his grandfather, sorry. it's a, it's a general idea. Yeah. I, <laughs> um, but but we learn to do what our parents do, and I see that. Like I do some of the visiting my family last week. I watched, and I do this every time I visit them because I'm I'm crazy. Say, so, oh hey, I do that sometimes. Oh look, I do that. You know, oh, this is something, and and so like like understand, um, you know. And, and as we're on Father's Day, like be aware your kids are watching. Like, and they're going to learn, and they're going to repeat, or they're going to react, or they're going to do things based on what you do. And so you've got to be clear on being who you're meant to be, who God designed you to be. So, and this will all make sense as we get into the text. We're in the book of Judges. Like I said, we left off, and I did not think about it last year. We, we left off in the middle of a story, um, and, and it's the story of, um, of uh, Jephthah, Jephthah, Jephthah. I'm bad with Hebrew names. It's the story of Jephthah. And, like, what's going on is – well, before we get to that. All right, so Judges is this period of history that happens between – you get the Exodus, right, and the conquest of the Holy Lands. And then you've got the Book of Judges. And that happens before the kings show up. And this is a period of time where God is king over his people. And when things went wrong, he would raise up a judge, and that judge would sort of run the show for a little while – and then when it was time to step back, they would step back and God would resume his job as primary ruler. And so the judges are people who either like were military leaders or they settled disputes or what have you. Um, and so during this period, it's a little chaotic. It's one of the most difficult historical books to align because a lot of the judges happen at the same time or overlap. And it gets really difficult to lay down sort of the chronology of it. But there is a recurring theme in the book. In the very beginning of Judges, the first judges were awesome. They were holy, and they were effective, and they were, like, fantastic. And by the time you get to the end, the last judge is Samson. And Samson, we all know who he was, right? He was the action hero guy, was also pretty much the worst judge, period. Right, like he he slept around, he was drunk a lot, and he violated the religious rules, and he did just I mean, wasn't even effective actually. Like when he was done, he was the judge who ended his time with the Philistines still in charge. Like he he just he was a failure, and the decline of the judges through the book is sort of the theme. And the idea is, on your own, if you try really hard to be holy and good, you might do okay up front, but as time goes on, your sin and the sin nature of all people, like, it'll affect you, and you'll sort of come apart, or you'll get lost along the way. And it's sort of only by God's interaction with us, the Holy Spirit working in us, um, that we're able to, like, be obedient and, and be faithful and whatnot. And so, like, this is the theme of Judges. Um, it's really easy to turn it into a series of morality plays, and I'm not going to do that, okay? Um, there are principles behind the text that we're going to talk about, and we're going to talk about Jesus. The, like, that's, that's it. If you catch me doing morality sermons, and the moral of the story is, um, you can beat me up in the parking lot. All right? <laughs> I, and Titus isn't here to stand up for me. Uh, <laughs> so, Jephthah. Last week, or last summer, we talked about him. In the first half of his story, we find out Jephthah is the child of a prostitute. And um, he grows up in a family where all the other brothers remind him, hey, you're not actually part of the family. You're the illegitimate one. Um, and, and he gets abused by his siblings. He's talked down to. And eventually he gets sick of them, and he runs off into the wilderness, and he joins a gang, um, climbs to the leadership of the gang, and he's basically a brigand, right, like a, like a ruffian, um, an outlaw. That's a, that's a cowboy term. Um <laughs> So, so he becomes this outlaw, and he gathers around him with a bunch of other tough outlaws, and they, they become a force to be reckoned with. And Israel gets into trouble, and they bring in this outlaw, and they say, Hey, you know what? You're tough. You're one of us. Now, conveniently, hey, you're one of us. Uh, now that we need you, can you stand up for us? And so um, Jephthah is not a good Jewish man. He's not. He's pretty much a pagan, like we figure out really quickly. That he's a pagan who stands in the Jewish tradition and like sort of does Jewish stuff, but he's more a pagan than he is a Jew. Um, and, and so he, before the big battle, he says, God, I will sacrifice as a burnt offering the first thing I encounter when I get home if you let me win this battle. It was a dumb thing to say, right? Um, because for a few reasons. First off, he doesn't know what's going to encounter on his way home, right? The expectation is that it would be like a sheep or a cow or something like that. In reality, it was his daughter. Um, and, and so we'll get to that in a second. But, like, like the other problem with that is we don't trade with God, right? Like, and that's something the Old Testament talks about over and over again. You do not make deals with God. God does not need anything you have. Got it? Like, I used to talk to kids who would go into rehab. You know, and I'd be sitting there, like, talking to them as they come into rehab. And they'd be like, yeah, I told God that if he would just get me out of jail, I would you know get my life right <laughs> and and I really meant I wanted to go home <laughs> and now I'm in rehab and it's like well you you know like God God doesn't make deals like that right God looks for our surrender and he does the work on our behalf everybody with me all Jephthah had to do was go out and fight and God would have delivered him but instead he made this deal and whether he set his daughter on fire or not is sort of up for grabs in the text it's not entirely clear what happens um it's possible, I'm going to say, say I, when I first preached it, I leaned against it, and now I think he might have. Um, and that's because I, I studied the second half of the text. So he has had his first opportunity to lead. He went from outcast to loved one, right? Everybody's cheering his name, and he comes back, and the 12 tribes, Israel is 12 tribes. It's not one unified people. It's a bunch of families gathered all over, right? It's actually, Big Sandy's a good example of this. You got the Durgas that live over there, right? And you got the Bitses that live sort of 10 miles away from them, and the O'Neills that live over there and have a whole road named after them. And, you know, there are they're, they're all these tribes, and they're all family, and they, they were very strong in their family identity. And so um, the battle is won. The daughter is probably sacrificed. Uh, the men of Ephraim were called to arms and crossed to Japhon. And said to Jephthah, why did you cross over to fight against the Ammonites and did not call us to go with you? We will burn your house over you with fire. So the Ephraim, the guys from Ephraim, this is not the first time they've done this. This is actually the second time in the book of Judges we encounter this. And it's probably the case they did it more than that. Where a great battle happens and they show up afterwards and they're like, what the heck? Why didn't you invite us to fight? And then they threaten to fight a war against you know the judge. Oh well, we'll beat you guys up for that. You're it's on. You know these are the guys who show up after the fight and say, yeah, I would have knocked him down too. <laughs> Lucky that happened before I got here. Um, so the men of Ephraim do this. Last time it happened, they did it with Gideon, and Gideon sort of is like, oh man, you guys are so tough. We didn't we didn't want to bring you because the enemy would have like run away. You are so awesome in battle. Like, that's why we didn't invite you. And, and oh, man, please don't hurt us. And they, oh, well, we're appeased. We'll go home. And, and you know, so they have this pattern, right? Like, it's probably a pattern that's gone generations where they show up late angry because they didn't get to be a part of it. Everybody with me? They're jerks. I mean, like, to put it plain and simply, they're kind of a clan of jerks. Um, and so they show up. They cross the river to to the homeland of Of Jephthah and his family, the the, uh, Gileadites, the Gileadites, uh, my pronunciation is awful. Um, And so Jephthah, why did you fight against them? We will burn your house over you. This is an insult. Anybody catch why it's an insult? This is a guy who just like obeyed a promise he made to God, probably somewhat painfully, like set his daughter on fire and killed her, right? And they show up and they're like, well, we're going to burn you now. And so, like, they they sort of took it a step too far, right? Like, instead of showing up and sort of um, showing the tough guy and not actually being the tough guy, um, they, they showed up and they insulted a bit too much. And Jephthah responded, and Jephthah said to them, I and my people had a great dispute with the Ammonites. And when I called you, you did not save me from their hand. And when I saw you would not save me, I took my life in my hands and crossed over against the Ammonites. And the Lord gave them into my hands. Why then have you come up to me this day to fight against me? So Jephthah doesn't play Gideon's part. Like, he ain't being nice, right? He's insulted, and he's ticked off. And he says, you know what? I just went over and fought a battle. I tried to get you guys to come. This might be a lie, by the way. Like, there's the distinct possibility he's lying. We don't know that he's telling the truth. There's no record of him inviting them. Like, it's possible he's covering for himself. But Jephthah is a guy who really likes being in charge, right? He really likes being in charge, probably because he grew up his whole life being told he's a pile of dirt. And then all of a sudden he gets to be the big tough guy, and everybody's inviting him. Oh, come deliver us, save us. And and then he shows up, and, and he's enjoying it, enjoying it so much that he was willing to murder his daughter, right? Because for Jewish people, like, human sacrifice is the most detestable thing you could do, right? Like, over and over again, that's in the Torah. Do not sacrifice people, ever. And so he should have, like, stopped and said, oh, wait, God. I take it back. I'm not going to fulfill my vow. I'm not doing that. Because there's actually rules in the Old Testament for breaking vows to God. But there aren't rules where you're allowed to sacrifice people. Right? <laughs> like, but Jephthah is so intent on staying in charge and so intent on being revered and so like, look at me and how awesome I am. He says, you know what? I went out and fought. Oh, and God took care of me as an afterthought. Um, now you guys are coming out and threatening me. Then Jephthah gathered all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim. He didn't, there was no further discussion. There was no further negotiating. Now, Jephthah is a guy who can negotiate because in the previous story, Jephthah, like there's half of the chapter is him negotiating with the enemy and trying to get them to just go away and surrender without fighting and trying to appease them so a battle isn't necessary. Like he's a guy who can negotiate and he does it with the enemy. But when it comes to his family, because that's what, the, you know, the guys from Ephraim are family, right? They're the same nation. This is like Montana going out and fighting, you know, Washington, right? I mean, it's not – these these are same nationality. And not just Washington, but, like, a Washington made entirely of, you know, Durgas and O'Neils and I don't know who else is – Pegars and everybody else. Like, like they are all family. And so he turns to his family and he says, you know what, guys? I ain't putting up with it from you. Let's get them. And so – The guys from Ephraim who are used to being appeased, all of a sudden, they got an army charging across the field at them. And they did pretty much what guys who talk big do. Um, And the men of Gilead struck at Ephraim because they said, You are fugitives of Ephraim, you Gileadites, Gileadites, in the midst of Ephraim and Manasseh. So the guys from Gilead turn around and say, All right, get them. They're fugitives. The word fugitive here can be translated a couple different ways. It's The Bible has a way of nicing up words. You know what I'm saying? Because there's some pretty rough language and rough things said. Basically, what the guys from Ephraim turn around and say is, you know what? All of you people are bastards, and we're going to get you. Um, of course, a personal insult against um, the leader of the opposing army because he was child of a prostitute, right? I mean, like, they are all words and all insult, and when it comes to action, um, it, it doesn't work out so well. So they throw out their insult, and ironically, they're about to become fugitives themselves. Um, they're about to become um, disowned from the family, so to speak. Um, and the Gileadites captured the fords of the Jordan against the Ephraimites. And when the fugitives of Ephraim said, let me go over, the men of Gilead said, are you, are you an Ephraimite? And when they said no, they said to him, you say, Sheb- then say Sheboleth. And he, and he said Sheboleth, for he could not pronounce it right, Sibboleth instead of shibboleth. Um Then they seized him and slaughtered him. At the Fords of the Jordan, at the time, 42,000 of the Ephraimites fell, um, and we'll get to the second half of that in a second. So, um, what's going on here is, right, like the, the um, Ephraimites basically get their butts kicked, right? Not only do they get their butts kicked, they get their butts kicked thoroughly, because these are guys who've never gone out and fought a battle, and they're basically coming out and fighting against battle-hardened troops that have been hanging around for, like, a month resting, and so they, they get absolutely trashed and beat up and sent running. There's a total route. And what happens is because they crossed a river to get there, right, they have to cross a river to get home. And you can't just cross a river, right? You've got to find a place to cross. And earlier in the book, we see where Ephraim, like much, much earlier in battles, they were the nation that sort of grabbed the fjords and didn't let armies cross. That was their only role, right? And the neighbors, having learned the lesson by watching, they show up, they grab the fjords, and they say, hey, you know what, pronounce this word for us. As it turns out, they have accents, right? I, um, and they can't pronounce shh. They pronounce it sss. And, and I think that's uh, during World War II they did that, right, on the islands. When guys on watch, they would come out and say, well, you know, pronounce rutabaga, you know, and if you couldn't say the R, they would shoot you, right? Um, that's basically what happens here. And and so um, Jephthah authorizes the slaughter of 42,000 people um, because they insulted his sacrifice of his daughter and the fact that he was, was of questionable lineage, right? Um, good guy? Not really, right? Like he is sort of, we're, we're past the hump where it starts going really downhill, and we encounter this guy who is, you know he, he does what God sent him to do, but then he does a whole bunch of other stuff that's kind of awful. He, he kills family, and he you know, kills a lot of family then. Like, it's a pattern. This guy is awful. Um, then they sees, I'm sorry, that's I double-texted there. Um, Jephthah judged Israel for six years. Then Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried in his city of Gilead. Um, so what do we do with this? This is, this is one of those hard texts to preach. Like, I didn't think about it when I started preaching judges because every once in a while you come across a story and you read it and you're like, oh, my gosh, what do I even do with that? Um, it's true, right? Like, it's the story of slaughter, wholesale battle, which is a good Good Friday service. Um, but what do we do with it? All right, so there's, there's a bunch of stuff that can be done here, actually. First off, God is not mentioned in this account. Right. Like there are some things that are descriptive and some things that are prescriptive in the Bible. Descriptive is a story of what happened. Prescriptive is go and do the same thing. Right. This is a descriptive account that demonstrates for us the decline where godly men not relying. You know, godly men in the beginning raised men who didn't rely on God quite as much, who raised men who didn't rely on God quite as much. And finally, we get to this point where these guys. I mean, Jephthah is Jephthah's a pagan. I mean, Jephthah is a pagan and a murderer for that. I mean, um, God is not on their side in this. He delivers his nation because they're his people. When they start fighting amongst each other, he doesn't jump in and help them. This doesn't ever say, well, and God was with Jephthah and allowed him to kill his neighbors. Nope, not at all. It's, it's not like at the core of the text. Like God is not joining in on them. And that's important because there are times when Christians do things and we assume God is on our side and he's not, right? You cannot do a wicked thing and assume God is helping you. Everybody with me? I know people who, who you know, whole lives, they follow Jesus and everything else, and then, like, when it comes to, oh, those bad guys, we're going to go and deal with them, and they don't deal with them in a way that is a loving, Christ-like way. They deal with them in a worldly way, right? Um, we are God's people. We carry with us the gospel. That is our sword, right? We preach the gospel. We tell folks about Jesus Christ died for your sins. Jesus Christ carried every wicked, awful, nasty, mean, dirty, selfish thing you ever did and was nailed to a piece of wood and was punished for everything you ever did. He was cast out of God's presence. And like because of that, if you follow Jesus, you are forgiven and made whole and brand new. That is our weapon, right? Like We can't assume God is on our side if we do a wicked thing. You can't say, oh, well, God... I'm going to do this, and you're along for the ride. Nope. People who do that lie to themselves, right? Um, if I was going to point to an example in our culture, I would point to, uh, oh, who are those guys that, that protest? Oh, the Westboro guys. Yeah, stand outside of funerals. Thank God for dead soldiers, right? No. Sorry. Like, God is not joining in on that, right? Like, these are guys who are saying, hey, God is on our side, you know, God hates fags, you know, and stuff like that. That ain't Jesus. Nope. Like, you cannot hate folks and think God is joining in. Um, and that doesn't apply to us. I haven't seen anybody here carrying a sign, right? I have worked in churches. Not like this one. You guys are awesome. I'm not saying nasty things about you all. But I, I, I worked in a church once where I had somebody call and yell at me about how cookies were done at good, fr- or good, excuse me, Christmas Eve services. Called me up and chewed me out Christmas Eve. Like... About how cookies were done. Um, and they were convinced that God was on their side. And that's why they had to, like, push the right standard for cookies in Christmas Eve service. They weren't even there. <laughs> um, I, I were. <laughs> <laughs> but you, are you saying I should let it go? Or they should have let it go? Probably both. Um, my point is sometimes we get all up in arms, and we think, God is on my side in this, and we act in an ungodly way, fighting for things that are our causes, not God's, right? Jephthah is fighting for his cause, not God's. Um, Jephthah is standing and defending his position and his authority, and, and, and he's not standing in God's spot. Um, he is a victim, right? Because like, ultimately, like you back it up, he can't help who his mom was, right? He, he can't. Um, he was a victim. But, like, it's very easy for victims to victimize. You hear what I'm saying? To, like, go from, I was hurt in this way, and I am going to destroy everyone who comes near me because of it. I I knew a guy, actually one of my closest friends, like, for for the longest time. um, He was an alcoholic who, like, as a kid watched his dad murder, or didn't watch, he was in the next room. His father, like, was drunk and shot his mom and then shot himself and, you know, he came in and found him and everything else, and then he became an alcoholic himself and drank for years, proving that he could be a drunk without murdering anyone. Like, he was a victim who destroyed the people around him. Like, because of his victim. Because he was a victim. I mean, like, ultimately, this is the awesome thing about the gospel, right? Like, this is the awesome thing about what Jesus gives us, like, on the cross. We are freed from having to take revenge. Like, we are freed and healed from the like like garbage that exists in our past, we can go to Jesus and say, you know, I this is how I suffer, this is how I struggle, this is how I've been wrong, and like Jesus can relate to us. It says that in Hebrews, right? Like we have a high priest that can relate to our, our hardships, right? Like like any of you think about it, abandoned by friends, um, yeah, that happened, right? Um, physically abused, yeah, um, hung naked in front of you know a crowd of people who mocked him while he hung there. I mean, like, like you start really hungry, poor, um, you go through it. Jesus experienced the hardship of life. He faced temptations and overcame them. Like, and so we can go to Jesus and we can learn and we can be healed and like, he can carry like that for us on the cross. And that's awesome. Like, like this is sort of the opposite of what should happen. Jephthah gives us the anti example, right? Which is the great thing about the old Testament. Sometimes you come across these guys and they're not perfect. They're so imperfect that we can learn from them. It's fantastic. Jephthah's own sins come back to haunt him. Now watch this. Um, had he not sacrificed his daughter, it's likely the guys from Ephraim wouldn't have insulted him to the point that he was, I mean, like, we would agree, right? Like, setting your daughter on fire is a big sin. Anybody want to argue that? You don't know my kids. Um <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you're not a dad yet. You'll know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you're having a son, so. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> no, but but at the end of the day, these are sins that he committed. He never repented of them. He never made right. He never anything, never owned them. And then when it was brought up, he had to defend himself, right? Oh, you're going to bring up my sins. Oh, well, it's on. He had to respond in violence He because he wasn't going to back up and say, oh, you're right. Actually, he's a great contrast to David. David uh, King David... Um, slept with his neighbor's wife, and then murdered his neighbor to cover up his sin, right? And then Nathan comes and calls him out, and he's like, wow, you're right. I'm wrong. What I did was horrible and obscene, and God, please forgive me. Um, David was in a position where he could have just had Nathan's head cut off. Um, he could have, but David owned his sin, and he repented, um, that would be the example we're to follow. Like, if we have sin, if we buried sin, if we ignore sin, we pretend it isn't there, we're soaking in some area of sin, and we think, oh, it's okay, it's okay. God like, like, sin is a way of infecting and spreading. It's like cancer. Um, and, and in Jephthah, we see an example of how that happens. In Christ, we can root that out. We can learn humility. We can be made new. We can be forgiven. We can, you know, when people come to us with our sin, we can say, you know what? It's true, I'm a bad guy, but Jesus died for me. And he's made me new, and I'm becoming new, and let me tell you about the awesomeness of that. Um, we, uh, we see a great contrast here, and this is a church one. This is, I'm going to step away from, like, this is practical church life. Um, people start fighting, like the Ephraimites come out and they act like jerks, and, and Gideon's response to them is a great contrast. Um, Gideon goes to them and says, oh, hold on, let's make some peace here, right? which is kind of more in line with what we're supposed to do. I mean, in a way, he enabled them, but he also didn't slaughter 42,000 of them. So, you know, one way or the other. Um, a lot of times we see – actually, I worked for a pastor who, who, when opposition came out, like, in the church, he, he, he put it out. Like, a lot of times that involved putting people out of the church. Like, in, and he, he would you – know, he was down the line. There was no peacemaking. There was no nothing. It was – you're, you're, gonna, you're wrong, you're going to repent of being wrong, or else. And, and it was awful. That was a, I mean, I, I worked there. There were six church fights. It was all a legacy of this refusal to make peace. Um, in the body of Christ, our response, each of us individually, is to follow like what Jesus says in the uh, Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the peacemakers. Like our job within the body of Christ is to make peace. Um, our job in the body of Christ is to love each other when we're being unlovable. That doesn't mean we ignore sin, right? But it does mean we make peace. Um, it does mean we, we back up and say, you know what, I'll hear you out, and then you can hear me out, and we'll figure out how to deal with each other, right? Um, I, I read a great account a few years ago about a church that broke up over uh, where the piano was on the stage, which side. And actually, when they moved it, Somebody got up and tried to move it in the middle of the sermon, and it turned into a shouting match and a fist fight, and the church broke up, and they never got together again because it was so important. Jesus didn't care where the piano is, right? Um, I interviewed at a church that had a had a split over whether or not they should skip the process and hire me outright because I'm that awesome. Um, <laughs> it was a joke. Um, <laughs> But they, you know, one guy said, you know what, he's great, we need to hire him today. And somebody else says, whoa, whoa, hold on, we have a process. And nope, we're hiring him today or I'm leaving. But that's not peacemaking, right? Ultimately, like, like as believers, as members of the body of Christ, as we deal with each other, we're supposed to be peacemakers. We don't play the part that, that, that these guys play, we're supposed to be a little more like Gideon, where we, we come at each other in a loving way. We come at each other as family. Um, we come at each other as, as folks who are supposed to love each other. And, you know, if you want to know how you're doing with this, look at how you deal with the folks around you. In fact, actually, let's take it a step further. Think about how you deal with your close family members, right? Isn't it crazy? Like, I, I've heard this said a million times in counseling. We treat our family worse than we would treat strangers. Isn't it true? It's easy to yell at your wife. It's easy to yell at your husband. It's easy to, like, shut your kids out. It's easy to, there's that, what's it called, uh, oh, shoot, there's a word for it where where couples are, are divorcing now, and one of the new tactics that's causing is people, like, um, they use their phone as a way to, like, just ignore, right? Like, so they, one person will get mad, and the other one will go, well, fine, I'll take my phone out, and I'll surf the internet while you talk, you know, you're, <laughs> you're out. Uh, like, people do this. I can... Some of us do it. I do it sometimes. I'm not perfect. I'll acknowledge. I'll own the fact that I'm wicked. Um, But Jesus is working on me. Um, Are we peacemakers? Do we love the folks around us? Are we showing the love of Christ? And in fact, actually, if you want to imitate Christ properly as it relates to other people, Jesus came along when we were God's enemies. This is in Romans, right? When we were God's enemies, he died for our sins. Like So not only did he go the whole distance on our behalf when we were his enemies, he He bore our sins to make us his friends. Um, And so as you deal with the loved ones around you, as you deal with the church, as you deal with your neighbors, like, who are you? Are you Gideon? That's a moralization, by the way. Um, (laughs) We're called to be more like Jesus because Jesus died for us. Jesus died for us to make us like him. Um, Ultimately, you can't do this on your own, by the way. It's superhuman, right? It is absolutely superhuman. To, to imitate Christ. It's not like something you could do perfectly on your own. You need Jesus to make you into this kind of person. Um, we don't turn the other cheek naturally. We're a little more like Titus in the swimming pool naturally, right? You know. Um, look for the chip on your shoulder. A lot of times, like, um, what we get angry about or what we get defensive about, this, isn't, this is the thing that we see in our, in our judge, right? He has this chip on his shoulder about, about a bunch of things, right, about his family, his position, They call him a bastard, and he kills them all. Um, that's not a swear word. It's an appropriate technical term. Um, the, uh, like, like, what is the chip on your shoulder? Like, if there are areas you get angry or areas you get frustrated quickly or areas you get defensive or areas you get mean about, like, what is it and what's underneath it? Because a lot of times sin or unforgiveness or bitterness or just hurt that we buried down and we won't let God touch – or anyone else see, or anything else like like that's where those things come from, and so sometimes it's necessary to dig in ourselves and bring things to Christ that are not easy, and like honestly, the best way to find it sometimes is what makes us angry, defensive, irritable, what have you. Like if it happens all the time, ask yourself where is this coming from, and then dig it out and repent of it. Um, we often despise and mistreat others based on what. Excuse me on matters that are more personal than about justice and I guess this is a repeat But I said it because I think it's super important Um, In the life of the church. Sometimes we make our opinions into gods isn't it true? Um, The only things that are worth fighting about in the church are whether or not jesus died for us Because if somebody comes along and says that jesus didn't really die for you and you're not really forgiven Like we would have a problem about that, right? jesus is god's son um, like these core issues are things that are worth fighting about. Everything else is like icing on the cake, right? Um, my niece, she had a graduation last week, graduated from high school. She, my sister was pregnant with her when we got married. It, it's it's awful. Um, I'm I'm getting old. Um, but but they had this cake, and, and it was a huge cake, and we it, we had to drive it across town, and we had to carry it up this. Hill of sand into this house and set it up on this tiny little table. And we took it off. The top of the box took a huge chunk of the frosting off all around the sides. Um, and I, I, having carried the cake, it was not my fault. The first thing I did was I, you know, thought, well, the frosting on the box top is wasted. So I grabbed a side and, you know, and ate my frosting. And my niece, who's graduating, comes along and says, Oh. And she does it. And I turn around and say, Hey, hey, guys, she. She took frosting off the cake. She took frosting off the cake. We spent the rest of the evening going back and forth about the frosting on the cake, right? Like if we had really fought about that, it would be dumb, right? Dumb. The cake matters more than the frosting. Um, And at the core of it, like our relationship matters more than the cake altogether. Like sometimes in the church we fight about things that have nothing to do with what's important. Jesus is what's important. Um, And because Jesus is important, your family is important. Because Jesus is important... Fathers are important. Because Jesus is important, kids are important. Because Jesus is important, people are important. Um, like, everything grows out of that. And so if you want to know if your cause is just, back up and say, what does Jesus have to do with this? If Jesus isn't at the center of it, it's not worth fighting about. It's just not. We're going to pray. And as a Father's Day gift, we're ending ten minutes earlier than normal. You're welcome. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you be with us this morning. And... Lord, help us to look at our lives and, and to, be, to be like Jesus, Lord. When we encounter folks around us and we, we deal with each other, help us to be peacemakers. Help us to be loving. Help us to care more about, about being like Christ and treating folks that Christ died for like people that Christ died for. Um, help us to be people like that. Help us to put away our pettiness. Help us to put away our selfishness. Help us to put away things that make us want to fight when it doesn't make sense. And Lord, help us to root out the sin in our lives, the the selfishness, the the buried secrets, and, and help us to sacrifice them to You, Lord. Help us, to, uh, excuse me, to help us to bring them to You, that they could be carried by Christ for us. Um, make us into new people, just every day, Lord. Um, make us into people who see, who see You and imitate You, and, and and you know, not like the judge in today's in today's message. In Jesus' name. Amen. Have a good day, guys.